0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 1st, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron. It is called Advent with the Apostles. Starting today and going until right before Christmas, we will be taking a look at a variety of epistle readings, epistle readings that are appointed for the season of Advent. Today's text is Romans 13, verses 8 to 14. That is the epistle reading that's appointed for the first Sunday in Advent in the one-year lectionary and in series A of the three-year lectionary. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor James Yonkers. Pastor Yonkers serves at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Danville, Illinois. Pastor Yonkers, welcome to Sharp Iron.
1: Thank you for having me. It's great to be on, on the air with you today.
0: Pastor Yonkers, as we get started, again, this is a new series, a little bit different than what we normally do here on Sharper Iron. Rather than going straight through one book of the scriptures, we're going to be looking at a variety of texts, all in in one series, all Advent texts, as we will see. And so perhaps that's a good place to start, is just talking a little bit about Advent. Uh, Tell us about Advent. What is it? Give us some background, any important information that's going to help us as we prepare to look at a bunch of Advent texts this December.
1: Well, you know, Advent is the start of the church year. The end is All Saints Day, and there's a few Sundays in between All Saints Day and the start of Advent, which is just kind of no man's land. And then Advent usually starts the first Sunday in December, and it's the first four weeks in the Western Church in which we prepare ourselves and look forward to Christmas. It's similar to Lent, though it's not officially a penitential season, and we examine things like darkness and light darkness of our sin versus Jesus, who, as John says in this Gospel, is the light of the world, and we also look look forward and have readings preparing us for the coming of Christ. Now, in the Eastern Church, the last six weeks was a little different, but that's difference in the churchical calendars, and, that, and that's just fine. But it's a great season; we love to have all of the things of Advent, the hymns, "So Come, Come, Emmanuel," and
0: the Advent and things like that. So, Pastor, Pastor Yonkers, just a couple of, of thoughts, a few more things I think we can talk about with Advent. You called, uh, I thought this is an interesting, converse, interesting term, between All Saints Day on November 1st and the Sunday usually next to it is when we celebrate it, and then the beginning of Advent, you called it No Man's Land, which <laughs> 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 I, you know, I, I think, it, we, I, you know, those are the Sundays that are at the end of the church year. And if you're in the, the three-year lectionary, you get, like, what is it, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost, or sometimes you'll hear the second to last Sunday in the church year, and then the last Sunday in the church year. The names are a bit maybe cumbersome. But yes. there is, you know, in that, I, there is that transition, I think, on All Saints Day when, with that focus on the, the eternity that awaits us and all the saints. there There is a turn in the church year there to focus on the end times. And then right. as you said, you you get to Advent, which is is either the first Sunday in December or the last Sunday in November depending on where Christmas falls on the calendar but what day of the week it is. So but but I think one of the one of the interesting things to me going through the church year year after year is that while you know that it's Advent and you know Christmas is getting closer in the readings that we get sometimes there's not all that big of a difference thematically from the end of the church year and those end times themes and then the beginning of the church year in advent so could you could you talk a little bit more about that connection how you know, sometimes you get end times themes in advent how how does I mean talk a little bit more of that about that transition I guess
1: Well advent it does have both of those characteristics. We look forward to the coming of Christ now when did Christ come? comes at christmas of course and that's what we're thinking about so much but as the christian church we also think about when is he going to come again the second coming of christ and with that second coming comes the end times and all of those readings which we can focus on which is important because i was just talking with some of my people this morning about some of the wild ideas that have developed about the end times of revelation and the misunderstandings there and how we like to focus on well let's go back to All Saints Day the, the, who are these sir and you know and these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb what's the focus of that the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb but we like to focus on the tribulation what is that and but as we look at the end times we look forward to the coming of christ and the church triumphant and that's how it's related is christ comes to us in advent he comes in the in the manger and he comes with clouds descending as well so we look at both of those in Advent.
0: right and that's where you know advent is more than just a pre-christmas it's it, it certainly that's a part of it that there is this sense of growing anticipation during those four weeks of advent as we get closer to celebrating the birth of the savior that god has come in our flesh to save us there's a growing sense of anticipation leading up to christmas and and yet advent is is so much more than that it's not just getting ready to celebrate christmas but it is really getting ready to celebrate the end of the world to get getting ready to celebrate christ's coming on the last day, and so there, there is this, you know, curious overlap of themes between the end of the church year and the beginning of the church year because we are waiting for that coming of Christ, and and so there's going to be a lot of of talk of you know, waiting, uh, light and darkness, as as you mentioned, is one of the an, another theme that we're going to see in Advent, and it's it's going to show up in the reading that we've got. Uh, for today, from Romans thirteen, are there any other themes that I think you mentioned? Repentance as well. John, the John the Baptist, is one of our key figures in in Advent, and now we're we're going to be reading epistle readings here on Sharp Iron, so we're not necessarily going to hear his words. But talk a little bit more a little bit more about the theme of repentance in Advent.
1: Well, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his task as, as, as a prophet uh, and. So that's what he did. I mean, you can think back to God's spell if you want. Uh, Bad theology, I know, but it's right in this sense that John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. And so as he does that, he calls people to repent. That's what he's doing when he calls people, when he calls the Pharisees and church leaders, you brood of vipers. He's telling them to repent. You're not perfect. You need salvation, too. And that's why I tell my people all the time, I'm a sinner too. That's why I go up and I take the Eucharist, I take communion, I eat the body and blood of Christ too because I need that forgiveness as well. And so that's how it's a season of repentance, so we can be right as we come to the Lord, so we can receive him. And how are, how are we made right? We're made right through repentance and truth and forgiveness of sins, which he gives us. That was his whole purpose of coming as he was born in the manger, and that's his whole purpose of coming, to bring the salvation promised when it comes again.
0: Yeah, I, the thing about John the Baptist that always strikes me, without getting too far afield from where we are today, but it, I mean, he's such a, a big figure in the season of Advent, it's hard not to talk at least a little bit about him. You know, we, we often think of John as this, he is a preacher of repentance, you, know, you brood of vipers, we remember his fiery sermons that we will hear in the gospel readings during the season of Advent, and, and yet, I think first and foremost, we really need to remember that John is is not only the preacher of repentance, but he's first and foremost the preacher of consolation. He's the one who's extending his finger, pointing at Jesus, saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, I mean, there's that, again, that, that you mentioned earlier how Advent, in some ways, is comparable to Lent as a season of preparation, a season of repentance— And yet both of those seasons are are so much more than, you know, let's make sure we feel sorry enough about our sins. Rather, no, let's make sure we receive Christ in repentance so that we can have him in full joy, knowing that he's the one that forgives our sins.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, that's part of the reason why we have, you know, we have the Advent wreath, and we have those three purple candles and that one pink candle. And I think or I'm sorry, rose, it's not pink, it's rose. <laughs> so when to get in trouble, I'm on national radio. But when we have that rose candle, it's reminding us of that, that joy which you're talking about. And, you know, It's not just repentance, there's also that joy as we look forward to the coming of Christ in the manger, as we look forward to the coming of Christ again to bring us home, to the home which he's preparing for us.
0: One more one more thought on Advent before we start moving toward the text there in Romans is you, you mentioned the coming of Christ. That is what the word Advent means. It means coming. And we've talked about the coming of Christ at Christmas and also the coming of Christ on the last day. And I've, I've heard others, and I think it's helpful, talk about a coming of Christ in the middle, the way that Christ comes to us in word and in sacraments even right now. And, and again, just as a reminder that the season of Advent is more than just... You getting like sort of putting ourselves in the shoes of the people who are waiting for Jesus to be born. No, there's actually a coming of Christ that we are waiting for, as we already said, but a coming of Christ to us right now through the means of grace. That that emphasis, I think, is a part of Advent as well.
1: I, I, I think so too. You know, it's a very beautiful thing that where's Christ come to us? He comes to us in our baptism. He remains with us. But he comes to us in a special way as we approach his altar to receive his testament, his body, and his blood, in, with, and under the bread and wine. And why do we use all those words? Because we can't fathom it. We can't understand it in human logic and reasoning. So we very much cover our bases to make sure we say the right thing, which is to ensure that we have his true body and his true blood, and that we receive it in faith. receive the benefits of faith, forgiveness, and eternal life.
0: So there's a, a helpful introduction on the season of Advent. I know we will spend time unpacking more of these themes as we go through the various epistle readings during this series on Sharper Iron, but a lot to chew on there, a lot to get us prepared to look at the text we've got today. Again, we're looking at Romans 13, verses 8 to 14 this morning. It is the epistle reading that's appointed for the first Sunday in Advent, both in the one-year lectionary and in the three-year lectionary, Series A. So with the just the nature of this series, Pastor Yonkers, we're not going to be looking at one book in consecutive fashion, and so we, we need to do a little work on context. The, the Book of Romans is is well-loved, among Lutherans particularly, and I think among Christians in general, for so many reasons. So we're going to be looking at particular verses in chapter 13. Let's at least spend a little time trying to get a, a feel for the flavor of the book as a whole, so that we can put the verses we're going to read and study today in their context. So what do we need to know about the book of Romans to help us with the verses we've got today?
1: Well, firstly, Romans is an epistle, it's a letter. It was written by Saint Paul, who was a Roman citizen. It was written by Saint Paul, who had never been to Rome. He's, you know, most of his other letters are written to churches he's founded to people he knows. Here, Romans is more of an almost an introductory letter. I'm Paul, and here's the teachings of Christ. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Remember, he had to go to back to Jerusalem and defend his Gentiles worked with the Gentiles at the Council of Jerusalem. And Peter had the vision of all the unclean animals coming down in the cloud and God saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter denied him three times, going, No, Lord. But finally he got it and understood but with the word of God that nothing God has made is unclean. And so there the world of the Gentiles was opened up to the church for the church Now you know the jewish uh faith was for those descendants of abraham there were god fearing greeks but it was for the descendants of abraham not so christianity not so the church after the death and resurrection of jesus there it was opened up to the whole world what was christ's command go make disciples of all nations so paul writes to the capital of the roman empire the small church they got there, we're not quite sure how, probably from Pentecost or something, and there he writes and introduces himself with longing to go and visit. Unfortunately, Paul would visit Rome, but not in the way he wanted to. He would visit Roman chains after claiming his Roman citizenship and demanding to be heard upon his arrest. And so he was taken to Rome as a prisoner, and the familiar story we might know of Shipwrecks and the harrowing journey to Rome, where he was imprisoned and held until he was finally put to death by the Roman Empire.
0: So, Paul writes the letter to the Romans before that happens, toward the at least according to the Lutheran study Bible I've got open in front of me, the mid 50s AD. We could we don't need to get into discussion too much on dates there. We did study the book of Romans here on sharper iron. Was that I think about a year and a half ago? And and so there's there's plenty of contextual information, more of those information about date and, and place and things like that, if you're you're interested in finding out more. For our purposes though, I, I do think it's important to try to give a broad outline or overview of the themes in the book of Romans, because it is arranged in a pretty systematic way. And, and jumping into one particular section of Romans can be dangerous if you don't know what part of the book you're jumping into and the, the very detailed and outlined and, and logical case that Paul's been making through the book of Romans. So, Pastor Yonkers, I know that's a monumental task that I've laid before you, but can you at least try to, to help us, again, find a, a footing in the book of Romans that's going to show us where we are in Paul's argument by the time we get to chapter 13? Well,
1: you know... Here we have, Very Romans is known for one, for, for law and gospel. Yeah. And if you, at the start of our text, we're very much on on law. It, it, it starts out with a command here in our text. So it's very much on the law of do this, don't do that, and so much of the law is don't do that on the surface, like the Ten Commandments, which our text will almost go through. We, we have... command not to do something but with that is the command to do something you know it's thou shalt not murder but what's that also mean help and protect your neighbor in every bodily need so it's more than just not hurting your neighbor it's the command to help them as well and i think paul paul goes through and just gives an overview of basic christian doctrine who is jesus who is christ and then how How do we live as Christians? And I think it's kind of where we're at here, of how do we now live in our faith? And we do so through the fulfilling of the law, and how do we do that? We'll see in our text today is through love,
0: which begs the question, what is love? And we'll get to that later on. That's right. And and this is where, you know, the question you asked that Paul's going to deal with in this text, you know, how then do we live as Christians? That's where we need to know what else is in the Book of Romans, and and as you said, lo- Romans very much is a law gospel book, and and just you know briefly, in the first three chapters, Paul makes the case that absolutely everyone, Jew or Gentile, stands condemned under the law as a sinner, and then there's that great gospel turn in the middle of chapter three, the the text that we many of us heard on Reformation Day this year where where Paul says but the righteousness of God's been revealed and and it's you're saved completely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and he dwells on that for a couple of chapters he talks about baptism and the baptized life in chapters 6 through 8 chapters 9 through 11 he deals with the matter of salvation for for Jews and Gentiles and there's a pretty key turning point in chapter 12 that in which Paul makes this move that you've described about, well, what does this all mean for the Christian life? And in, in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, and this is the way the ESV takes it, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A- and that's such, a, that's such an important verse there, a transition in the book of Romans, that, that Paul says, okay, I've laid out for you the mercies of God by which you are saved. Now, by those mercies, I'm going to make an appeal to you for what your life looks like as a Christian. And, and I think that's I think just that's important for us to, to lay out before we just jump into chapter 13, because chapter 13 is going to be, I mean, a lot of law. There's going to be a lot of commands as to what you are and aren't to do. And if you don't have that foundation that Paul's already laid in the book of Romans— you could get the wrong impression here in chapter 13. So again, I I think uh, that's—you just have to know a little bit about the book of Romans anytime you jump in, particularly into a section like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it comes down to the question, why do we do good works? Why do we do good things? It's so hard, because when you're preaching uh, so often, you go, we're saved by grace alone through faith. Well, then the question is, then what of works? And the works we do, not because they benefit us at all and earn salvation at all, but because they flow naturally because we believe, because we have faith, because we have love, then we do our good works naturally out of that. They flow forth from us without us even thinking about it. Hmm. And that's the place for works. And then what are good works? How do we know what is good? The law tells us what is good. It's a third use of the law rather than the first or
0: second use of the law. Right. I mean, I think if I can say it the way John would have said it, you know, we love because he first loved us. John, John puts into one sentence there what Paul's doing in the book of Romans here. You know, he's, in, he's saying, we love. Why? Well, because of the way God's loved us, and Paul's laid that out already in the book of Romans, and so he's really focusing right here on our love. And as, as we're going to see, that is shaped by the Ten Commandments. And then there's there's a an impetus, a motivation here, because of what time it is. And that's where the Advent themes, I think, are really going to come out strongly in this text, is verses 11 and following when we consider what these works are and when God is giving them to us to do. Any any more introductory comments on advent on Romans before we dive right into this text?
1: Well I think as we're we're talking about the separation here of law and gospel I, I really think about how how we can struggle with that a little bit as Lutherans to rely on grace while still doing good works for the benefit of our neighbor. You know what what did the rich man come and ask Jesus? What must I do to be saved? The answer is, you can't do anything. But Jesus points this out to him by saying, go sell everything you have, then come follow me. And what's the rich man do? He turns around very sad and walks away because he's going, I have to give up everything. He doesn't realize you uh, you can't do anything part that Jesus is trying to teach him
0: there. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely going to be some connections we can draw from that text to what Paul's saying here. Let's go ahead, let's read what Paul writes for us this morning. Again, this is Romans 13, verses 8 to 14, which is one of the appointed readings for the first Sunday in Advent. Paul writes, Owe no one anything, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That is our text for today. That's Romans 13, verses 18. Eight to fourteen. Again, the epistle reading for the first Sunday in Advent in the one-year series and Series A of the three-year. Pastor Yonkers, maybe just uh, to get us started, let's let's think about this text as as a big picture before we jump into individual details. What's the what's the big picture Paul's giving us here in these verses?
1: Well, here Jesus, or he, here we are given the whole listing of the second table of the law. We're given all the commands not to do. Or do this, don't do that. And then we're, we're commanded to walk in the light. And, and what is the light? And to not, and to not sleep. As part of walking in the light. So it's a kind of two, I see really two prongs. How to walk in the light and how to be justified before God. Being justified before God is by fulfilling the law. So how do we fulfill the law? And now that we fulfill the law, then how do we proceed to live? It was all part of Paul's uh, introduction to the Roman church or the church in Rome of here's who I am, here's the gospel, and here's what you do with it now. As with a focus here in our text on the third use of the law, how do we abide by the law now that we are saved by grace through faith? We are redeemed. And we know where we're going. We're going home to be with our Savior. But how do we now live on this earth? for the betterment of this world and for the benefit of our fellow brothers and
0: sisters in Christ and throughout the world. Right. So again, big picture. This fits into the text where Paul has already laid out previously how a person is justified before God. It is by grace, not by works. But then now what? In view of those mercies of God, What does that mean? And he's been spelling out already in Romans 12, this thought of love, which certainly is a big part of our text today. And that's part of our response to the mercies of God. Love for the neighbor, the second table of the law, as you said, and then walking in the light, not falling asleep because the the day is, is at hand, the night is far gone. And the reality of that, again, in view of the mercies of God, what then does the Christian do? That's going to be the topic that we're going to dig in to here in Romans 13, but we're going to do that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking the end of Romans 13 with Pastor James Yonkers. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 1st. We're studying Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 14 with Pastor James Yonkers. He serves at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Danville, Illinois. Pastor Yonkers, prior to the break, we laid out the big picture of this text. Really two sections here. I think you can divide it up. Eight to ten deals with this matter of love according to the law. And then verses 11 through 14 what time is it, and what does that mean, again, for our lives as Christians right now? So let's let's start with that first section, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We need to talk about this word love, not only because it figures prominently in the text, but because I think in our world today particularly, it is ripe for misunderstanding. So when we hear Paul talk about love... What do we need to have in our minds?
1: I, I think when we hear about love, I mean, what does the Bible say? It says, Christ showed his love for us in this, that, or God showed his love for us in this, that he gave his only son for us. I'm paraphrasing, I know. Uh, but then also, if we think about love, who who is God? God is our Father who art in heaven, and when we think about parenthood, he, Maybe you're not a parent, but think back, hopefully you had good parents growing up or good adult role models, and how did they show you love? My parents didn't always give me everything I wanted. My parents yelled at me, but, but when they did, they did so to rebuke me from bad things I did. They did so to make sure that I learned right from wrong, to make sure that you know, love is more than just permissiveness. And So often today we forget that. If you love me, let me do this. You know, God, God gave Adam and Eve a whole world full of fruit trees to eat and said, just don't eat that one. That was love. He provided everything for them, but they wanted more. So we have to remember love is not just giving whatever is wanted. We know that maybe as parents, but in our own life, we forget. If God is our father, he's not always going to say yes to everything we pray for, but he will answer it.
0: One of the really important things I think you brought out already is is the matter of love being defined by God, and His actions for us. And, and of course, I mean, and you were paraphrasing from the Book of Romans there that you know this. How do we know what love is? It, it's that that. Oh no, maybe you you might have been paraphrasing from John, but but Paul. I, f- I forget now, but but Paul talks about this as well. You know that that in love, right? Christ died for us while we were His enemies. I mean, that's that's love and we always have to let God define what love is rather than and I think this is the the mistake that our world often makes and certainly any of us are prone to make is to define love on our, our own terms and then force God to meet our standards and when we do that we're going to get we're going to get totally backwards rather we always need to let God be the one to define love and and he's done that first in the way that he's loved us and then I mean, this is going to then affect how we are to love each other. And that's really what's at, at stake here in this text. This this text, you brought it already, deals with what's called the second table of the law, the way that we love each other. So, I mean, again, helping us with that, that word love, how does letting God be the one to define it, knowing that it's more than permissiveness, how is that going to shape the way we treat each other according to these commandments?
1: With each and every commandment, there, there's the thing not to do, thou shalt not murder. But with, along with that is there's the what to do part, which is help and support your neighbor in every bodily need. And, the, the, and if we're talking about sin, we talk about sins of commission, I murder my neighbor. And we also talk about sins of omission, I don't give my neighbor my extra loaf of bread when he needs it. But in far the far. As love goes, it's focusing on serve your neighbor, do good for your neighbor, and do the works so that the light of Christ may shine through you, and through you they may see Christ. And that's why we do the good works for neighbors, not so that we'll get an extra loaf of bread when we need it, not so that we'll be benefited by it, but that they may be benefited. And that's the work that only a Christian can do, before it's only through the understanding of the gospel, understanding of God's love, that we can truly know love and then love others.
0: Uh, That's a really important point, because it does differentiate the love that Paul is talking about here as a specifically Christian love. And again, within the context of Romans, this kind of love that he's talking about, which he's really been talking about since chapter 12, in chapter 12, verse 9, Paul talks about genuine love, and he really starts to define it there, and he's been talking about it for quite some time. But again, this this love can only come forth from one who has been loved by God first. Because that that love from God, then, as you've said, it, it simply flows out from us to love the neighbor, not because of what I get out of it, but because God's already loved me. And so I don't I don't have to worry about what I get out of it because I know that God's got that taken care of. He's loved me perfectly. He continues to love me perfectly in all the things that he provides for me. And so I'm set free to love my neighbor. And, and when I want to know, well, how do I do that? That's where that's where the commandments come in. The commandments give shape to that love so that I'm not left wondering, well, I want to love my neighbor, but but how? And, and I might come up with the wrong answer. God God shows me what that love looks like He gives shape to it according to his commandments.
1: Right, and I think the world today wants to give us the wrong answer of how to love your neighbor. Yeah, You know, to love is not to be accepting of sin, to love is not to encourage our neighbor in darkness. I'm reminded of a time when I got the email from my friend in college saying, I'm choosing a sinful lifestyle, please still just love me and be my friend. It's like, of course I'll be your friend, of course I love you. But I'm not going to encourage you or accept your sinful lifestyle. But I am still your friend. I still love you, and to this day we are still friends. And, and that, and that shows love. To to differentiate the two, like a parent and his child. You you stole that piece of candy. That was bad, and I'm punishing you. But you're my child. I love you. You still get dinner on your plate, or at least in the morning you'll get breakfast. If I make you skip dinner because you stole candy, you know I'm not trying to be judgmental, but. Parenting
0: methods. So you know, I mean, I think this is this is a really important conversation again for our, our day and age. And and certainly, yeah, you know, thinking through the examples that we've got in the scripture, there is a danger to view the commandments apart from love. That was the move that the Pharisees often made, that they were so concerned with the the precise tithing of, of all these spices that they forgot the whole purpose of the commandments was to love. And there is a, there's a way that we can fall off the horse on that side, that we forget these commandments are meant in a positive sense to show love to our neighbor. That was the error of the Pharisees, and we definitely need to guard against that sort of legalism. But I think in our world today, it's the other side of the horse that we need to be more careful about falling from, and, and that's what we've been talking about, this thought that love is permissiveness, or tolerance or you know just letting the other person do whatever makes them happy. That's not what love is. Love seeks what's best for the other person. And the reason we know what's best for a person is based on what what God has given. And the thing, and you've you've mentioned this already, Pastor Yonkers, and I I love to to bring this up when when we talk about the commandments in catechesis here at Grace, that the reason God gives the commandments isn't because he's mean or or because he's trying to hold something back from us. It's rather because he's got these wonderful gifts for us, and he wants us to enjoy those gifts and to receive them in all of their bounty. And, you know, so, for example, the commandments that are listed here, you shall not commit adultery. The reason that commandment's there is because marriage is such a wonderful gift. And, and the next yeah. one, murder, you know, that's there because life is such a wonderful gift. It's, it's not that God's trying to, to harm us, but he he knows what's good. And so in the commandments, he teaches us what's good so that we would enjoy those things according to his blessing and not you know, pervert those things and end up doing so. We think it's going to be better, but it ends up being to our harm.
1: And as you say that, you know, why, why do we have close communion in the church? Not because we don't love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ outside of our confession, but because they are outside our confession, we know they do not believe teaching pass the same things as we do and so we withhold it so that we don't accidentally incur upon accidentally incur upon them the detriment that can be received from receive not worthily receiving the body and blood of christ not believing it truly is the body and blood of christ not believing from it you receive faith forgiveness and eternal life
0: Right. And so the, the, all of these examples go to, along with what Paul is saying here, that sometimes love, to love someone, does mean to say no to something. And that, that's just, that That is love. Love sometimes has to say no to what is wrong and evil, so that love can say yes to what is good and true and holy. And, and that, again, is, is something that I think our world has lost today, that certainly we as Christians need to hold on to, not, not in the way of the Pharisees you know, insisting on some kind of legalism, but in the way that, as Paul says in verse 10, would do no wrong to the neighbor. We, we desire what's good for the neighbor. And, and that's where, you know, this, this thought of, of love as overarching all the commandments is so helpful. If, if you wanted to, and when we talk about the Ten Commandments in, in catechesis, again, here at Grace, I, I ask the, the catechumens to say, tell me what the commandments are in one word, and, and that word is love. And and that's that's what Paul's making, the point here particularly in in regard to the second table of the law loving the neighbor as yourself
1: mm-hmm. and if we go to the first table what's what's that table it's loving god and then the second is loving your neighbor so it is love we just have to make sure we decide define love in its fullness and in its truth and not in its distorted way which we often like to or we often think about it
0: as Right, right. We always want to make sure that we let God be the one to define the word for us, and then seek to mold our lives, our thoughts, our faith, according to what he has said when it comes to this love for the neighbor. And and when we do, I mean, again, this is God desiring what is good for us. When when we seek after these good things for our neighbor and for ourselves, life life tends to go better, right? I mean, this is, I've, I've sometimes compared life according to God's law, like a like a vinyl record. And when the needle is in the groove in the record, the music sounds pretty good. But when there's scratches and and defects in the record and the needle's hopping all over the place, the music doesn't sound as good. When our lives are in the, the groove of God's law, things tend to sound better. And granted, I mean, of course, we're sinners, and so nothing goes perfectly. But generally speaking, life is better when we follow these commandments and when we don't life doesn't sound quite as good, like that needle hopping around the, the vinyl record. So again, this is a good thing that God has given us. And, and just one more time to reiterate that point, we're, we're talking here, this is in view of the mercies of God. Our keeping the law is not going to save us. This is how we respond to the salvation God has already freely given in His Son, Jesus Christ.
1: And that, that's the important part, and that's how we look at God's Word in its entirety, and not just verse by verse, otherwise we get, you know, our, our works might do something, we have to do good works. Well, we are called to do good works, but it's not those good works that save us. Going back to your vinyl analogy, you know, why do we read God's Word? Because it sharpens the needle so that, that beautiful music can continue to play. Because when you get a dull needle on a record player, it skips around, it jumps around, it scratches, it sounds terrible. When we spend time in the Word of God, we come to understand it and know it and love God more and love our neighbor more, and, and we grow in our faith and maturity and understanding of the gospel and of the law
0: as well. Let's move into the, the second section, Pastor Yonkers, beginning at verse 11. Paul, he makes a transition. It seems, it seems like he's, he's wrapping up not just what he's been talking about in the verses we've read, but really in this a larger section going back into chapter 12. He says. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. That that language of time and hour. What's the what's the topic that Paul's turning toward now?
1: Well, remember the early church was very much in the early church in the season of Advent, were looking forward to the second coming of Christ. The very early church thought would be within their lifetime. Christ never promised that. He never said that. But the early church assumed he'd be coming back really, really soon on an earthly time scale. And now in God's Word, he's reminding them of His promise that I am coming back. Be prepared, keep awake, be alert, and live your life in love for for God and for your
0: neighbor. So the, the language of time and hour is this is advent language you know i mean if it it wasn't plain in verses 8 through 10 that we were dealing with advent themes it it certainly comes out very clearly in verse 11 when we start talking about the time the hour being at hand thinking about christ coming when's that going to happen And, and here's that that second coming focus of advent coming in in verse 11. the time has come it's now because and, and for us as as Christians because Christ has come the first time and we know he's coming soon the second time and so that is is motivation that that future fact of what's going to happen uh, combined with the the fact of what's already happened in Christ's first coming that makes a difference in our lives right now and the way that Paul starts to picture that is through the image of sleep so he says the hour has come for you to wake from sleep what what's being communicated with the image of Waking up from sleep here.
1: To not, I, I, I'm, going, I'm an ego scout. I'm going back to the scout oath. I'm remembering to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. And it's to be alert, to be aware of these things, to not let yourself fall into temptation. Not let, let yourself be overcome by the, the world around you. Remember the church, especially in that time, and probably similar to today now, too, if it ever was different was surrounded by a non-believing world that would lead them away into all sorts of sin and vice. Part of the reason probably why Paul has written all the commandments out for them once more to make sure they're written not only on the hearts of the people as they are, as the scripture says, but also on their minds as they look at the world and try to judge their actions and find the right thing to do
0: in their Christian living. So waking up from sleep here has to do with not being lulled into the darkness, to use the image that's coming later, the the darkness of the sin that's all around us, but instead to to remain al- awake, to be vigilant. I'm thinking of some of those, again, second coming, often end of churchier texts, where Jesus talks about being on your guard, staying awake over and over again. It's a, it's a matter of, of not becoming complacent, or indifferent to what's going on around you, but rather to remain diligent in faith in Christ, to to stay awake, to not be asleep. And the reason, Paul says here, is because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What, what does that mean, that salvation is nearer now than when we first believed?
1: Well, salvation has come. That's the continuation it is, it is. it has been. It is and it will be here. Salvation is coming, being the return of Christ. But salvation is also here with us. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Our robes have been washed, as our uh, gradual from last week or last Sunday has said. But here, here, remain awake and listen. And it's nearer now because every moment we draw closer to the coming of Christ, either when we die leaving this earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or when he comes again descending from the clouds, though he comes with clouds descending. Either way, we are closer to this reality of salvation being seen with our own two eyes, as John had the joy of seeing in Revelation, than we were just a second ago when we started having this conversation or when we started reading the letter.
0: That's right. That's right. Every, every moment that passes, Christ's return draws closer. And because of that, I mean, that, that has implications and he's going to, to dig into that. Before he, before he gets there, there's one more way he describes this. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand before he moves onto the, so then let us. Uh, What's the, what's the matter of the night being gone, the day being at hand?
1: again the, the the night the darkness and light is a theme throughout the bible it's also a theme which even the non-christian world the non-jewish world has has picked up you have manichaeism believing that there is was a, a god of light and the god of darkness and the two of them fighting and we want to be in the light we have john teaching us also that the light of God is the light of Christ is the light of the world coming to us which fits into Advent as we anticipate living in this dark world full of sin anticipating the coming of the Savior even taking that brief Sunday in Advent to celebrate and rejoice knowing that he is coming uh, with the rose candle and taking that time to rejoice knowing and trusting in God that in this darkness, he is coming, that he still is the light of the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's quite striking here. Sometimes we'll talk about the now and the not yet of the Christian faith. And I, I think you see that at play here in Paul's words in Romans 13. On the one hand, salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's, it's coming closer. It's not quite here, but it is coming closer. At the same time, he says the day is at hand. Christ has come the first time. And so you have that that now and the not yet, and both of those together, Christ's two comings, his is coming the first time and is coming at the end, that means something for the way we live right now. And the way he describes it here, Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. There you have the same contrast between darkness and light, But it starts to to move into a clothing image as well take us into paul's words there
1: oh you know this isn't the only time paul puts puts the gospel and being a christian in terms of clothing we have the famous ephesians where we put on the whole armor of god and and here's just a little blurb of that Uh, put on the light put on the light of christ live in your baptism live in your faith and it kind of a mention to Christ's light the world shine forth. You know, how do we shine forth? We shine forth by by living our faith. How do we live our faith by doing those good works for the benefit of our neighbors we've talked about already in this
0: uh, program. Yeah, the the theme of of clothing. Well, you you mentioned earlier the the text from All Saints in Revelation, the ones clothed in white robes. They're the ones who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Paul Paul speaks similarly in Galatians three about those being who are baptized have put on Christ. Anytime you have this this clothing language, our, our, I think our minds should go to holy baptism as a place where God clothes us with Christ, and then you know what is that baptizing with water indicate? Well, it indicates that every day we put off our old nature and its sins with evil desires, and we put on the new man with all of the righteousness that we have in Christ. And, and that's the image that, that Paul's got here. In addition to the image of, of being clothed, there's also the matter of, of walking. Verse 13 talks about, let us walk as in the daytime. And he, he mentioned several of the things that, that we should not walk in there in verse 13. Take us into those words.
1: I find 13 in my, my Bible here, but you know, as far as let's walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness or in the sexual morality or in sensuality, not in quarreling or in jealousy. And, you know, walking in in the darkness is all those things. Walking in sin. When I was in college, one of my summer jobs was to walk around at night doing security for a outdoor education facility within the Senate, which is now closed, but it was, and, and I remember very vividly. I went and I found a big old manhole cover opened up and I found it by walking into it or rather falling into the hole. Oh, no. And it, yeah, but, but it was okay. You know, but that's walking in darkness, who knows what's yeah. going to come up. But in the light of day, we can't even see those we don't even find those holes because we can see and walk around them and avoid them that's what Christ's law shows us it shows us the path, the way so we can walk in light and yes we fall into darkness we fall off the side of the road we fall into sin and temptation but then we are lifted up out of it by Christ we are lifted up out of it, forgiven set back on the path of righteousness as he walks with us along life's way.
0: Yeah, I mean I'm sure if, if you could have avoided following into that open manhole you would have <laughs> and I think it's that's a great a great image of of why walking in the daylight is is so important because when we walk in darkness maybe and, and to use you know verse 13 when we walk in the things that Paul lists here we think it's going to be fun we think it's going to that that's somehow freedom but we find very quickly that we're just falling into empty manholes. I mean, and and, and even worse than that, that that's the, the picture there. Rather, walk in the daylight. And I, I love that you connected it back to the first part of this text and the law. My mind went to, to Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It, it shows us where the holes are so that we don't stumble and Break an ankle, or even worse, but rather we can avoid those and live in this light. Walk in this light, because that—I mean, again—that's the the music sounding good on the vinyl record. And and he sums it up there in verse 14. I, I love it. I mean, he's very strong language. Put on. There's the clothing again. The Lord Jesus Christ. He makes the you know get the full title there. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What is what is all this? talking about i mean that's i think that's taking back to the law gospel distinction we've been talking about put on the lord jesus christ that's the advent theme
1: it, it is because jesus is the light that we want to walk in jesus is the the way the truth and the life so he's how we're going to walk in the light is through christ there's no other light by christ you are the light of the world and and he's the one who shines in the darkness we have all these scripture references to Jesus as the light, but and so how do we put on the Lord Jesus? Then we do so, firstly through being baptized, secondly through beginning beginning our day each day in prayer, in God's word, reminding ourselves we are the children of God, as the catechism would teach us to the old Adam inside of us may daily be drowned and die in new life. The new Adam spring forth from within us,
0: uh, through our baptism that is made possible. Mm. Pastor Yonkers, we have about a minute left here. What a fantastic study this has been on Romans 13. As you reflect on this text, help us to you know see the big picture and how this text points us to our salvation in Christ, the coming one of Advent
1: with the theme of darkness and light it teaches us that the light of the world, the light of our life the light, the only true light is Christ and that we anticipate his coming in Advent both in the manger in Bethlehem which we love to celebrate a great joy to be sure the fulfillment of the promise that God would send his son to redeem and save us and also as we look forward to our life as we run the race that at the end, there's the crown that Christ has won for us, holding the place on our head, holding the place on our head to make, as he makes us children of God and gives us the, the, the prize of eternal life with him in his kingdom. And that's what we pray for every time we pray, thy kingdom come.
0: Pastor James Yonkers is pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Danville, Illinois, helping us today with Romans 13, verses 8 to 14. Pastor Yonkers, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a
0: pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the text that we covered today, other Advent epistle readings, or the season of Advent in general, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.